0: reading the last section of Revelation 12, beginning in verse 7. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle that she so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Father, we pray that you would use your word in print to connect us to your word in person, the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, chapter 12 begins the fourth of seven unveilings. And I mentioned last time, I have found one commentator who proposes that there are seven unveilings within this fourth unveiling. I've only found one. I love the idea. I'm still not convinced that's the case. And I'm not sure what might frustrate me more uh, if we did not find, and I'm very convinced of our reading, seven unveilings in this pattern of 777, seven, seven, the cyclical nature of seven. I don't know what might frustrate me more if we didn't find that the seven unveilings all follow a pattern of seven. And I think the jury's still out in my mind on that. Obviously, at least four of the seven contain seven. I don't know if that would frustrate me more or it might frustrate me more if it turns out all seven have a pattern of seven. And I only say that because I do think part of the nature of the genre of apocalyptic literature is just the time you think you've got your hands on it, something happens that's unexpected. So it would be the most apocalyptic thing in the world to have only four of the seven follow a pattern of seven. And I get that and I feel that tension and I'm learning to live with it and like it. But then at the same time, if all seven of the unveilings had a seven within them, that would just be great too. So either way, the jury's out. We'll see how this goes as we continue. But for today, we're looking at the fourth of seven unveilings and Revelation 12 attests to the reality and the power and the Fear of the satanic opposition to Jesus Christ and his people. But at the same time, the New Testament, and we're seeing this in the book of Revelation, presents the work of Christ as being understood as already victorious, already complete. Or he's already conquered. 1 John 3 8 The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So you have this picture in Revelation 12 of Satan seeking to destroy this male child, that is the the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. What happens when Satan fails to destroy the Son of God? We see that in verse 6. The woman, that is the church, fled into the wilderness, that's us, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. We are, I'm proposing in that interadvental period, the wilderness period, which is a direct play on the wilderness of the Old Testament, which is a foreshadowing of the Christian life, where God is taking care of his people and protecting us during this time that we're in the desert. And it is a limited time, that 1,260 days. That's... Three and a half years, that's half of seven. That's an indicator that this will not last forever. The persecutions, the difficulties, the temptations that we face during this period of time are coming to an end. And in the meantime, the Lord is looking out for us. So in chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, you have the point of view from earth. We looked at that last time. Christ being born, the devil opposing Christ, the devil opposing God's people. That's what's happening on earth. And as we have seen multiple times now in the book of Revelation, while all of this mess is going on here, cut the scene, switch to heaven. What's happening in heaven? That's what's going on in verses 7 through 12. It's the same event, but it's from the point of view of heaven. And while all of this mess is going on in verses 1 through 6 on earth, a greater reality is taking place behind the scenes. A greater reality is taking place in heaven. A greater reality is taking place in the spiritual realm. And Satan is being defeated by the Son of Man with Michael and his angels. What a fantastic story. This battle is happening on the, in the world and in this life. At the same time, there's this corresponding battle going on in heaven. Satan is being defeated by Christ and his angels, led by Michael. And again, this is all an allusion to the book of Daniel. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, but Daniel chapter 10 uses this exact same story, this motif of this battle going on in the spiritual realm, which just illustrates and reminds us of Paul's Words in Ephesians chapter 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The temptations and the struggles and the difficulties and the hardships that we encounter during this life are ultimately against the cosmic powers, ultimately against the present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And Christ is fighting that battle and Christ is winning and Christ has won that battle. Now, one of the interpretive questions of Revelation 12, one of the debates, is whether this episode, this war in heaven between Michael and his angels against this dragon, Satan, the deceiver, the accuser, whether this refers to some primordial before creation fall of Satan, and reference back to verse 4, being cast to earth and a third of the stars being swept to earth, Did that happen before, does this happen before creation? Or is this something that refers to an event that happened after the birth of Christ? And I would just say, again, typical of apocalyptic literature, typical of the book of Revelation, you just don't know. And it's okay to say we're just not sure. It's okay to understand that placing every event in the book of Revelation an exact chronological order and on some kind of exact linear timeline, really is just not the point of the book of Revelation. This is a vision. This is a, a fantastical vision. And the themes are what are important here. Not so much the timeline as to exactly when this war happened, but what's in view here, I think, is a fulfillment of the prophecy of the second psalm that Christ will reign over the nations. And that's really the the theme of this hymn that you find in verses 10 through 12. It's a beautiful hymn. And it's not, you'll notice, just anticipating the coming of the kingdom. It's not anticipating the coming of the rule of Christ. But you'll notice the hymn in verses 10 through 12 is celebrating the fact that Christ's Rule has already begun and it's already been established. Look at verse 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying or singing, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Get that? That's really the point of the passage. That's the idea of the hymn is that four things have already happened with the coming of Christ, regardless of when this battle between Michael, the archangel, and these demons, and Satan, and these fallen angels happened, whether that happened before creation or happened after the birth of Christ, not really the point. The point is, what has happened now that Christ has come, and you see that in verse 10, salvation has come, Power has come, the kingdom of God has come, and the authority of Christ has come. These are all in place now. You don't have to wait for the second advent of Christ for these things to be a reality. These things are a reality now. The salvation of Christ is a reality now. The power of Christ is a reality now. The kingdom of our God is a reality now. And the authority of Christ is a reality of of now. And, And look at this second part of verse 10. I love this. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. This great dragon, this red dragon, this deceiver who is Satan himself, this ancient serpent, the devil, call him what you will, his purpose in existence is to accuse, 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 accuse. You can just picture these sisters and these brothers before the throne of God, God sitting there ready to judge, and this will be you, this will be me on that last day or when we're called home, whichever comes first, and we stand before God. And here is that ancient foe, judging us as sinners, accusing us of sinners, saying that one deserves the death penalty, that one deserves the death penalty, that one deserves eternal condemnation because his sins are too great and he's accusing and he's accusing and he's accusing and the defense attorney who is none other than Christ himself, the defense attorney, who is none other than the son of the judge himself, stands before God, the father, the creator, stands before that ancient foe, the accuser, and says, she is not guilty. He is not guilty. He testifies on behalf of everybody who is in Christ and says, innocent. He's covered with the blood of the Lamb. The debt has been paid. Friends, when your conscience is accusing you, When you think those thoughts, and I I heard a line this past week, our worst thoughts come at night. I I certainly agree with that. When those worst thoughts come of condemnation, be reminded at the end of verse 10, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown out of the courtroom. He has no more standing. This is already accomplished. And if you are in Christ, hear these words, not guilty. Not guilty. Atoned for, paid for. The penal substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross stands in your place. Think about everything Satan loses. In this chapter, just in chapter 12 alone, he fails to defeat the incarnate Son of God born on earth. He fails, in our passage this morning, to defeat the Archangel Michael in the spiritual realm. He fails in the physical realm, he fails in the spiritual realm, he fails to defeat that first generation of Christians. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, he's failed to defeat you if you're in Christ. And then the rest of the chapter says he's also doomed to fail in the future. Yes, he'll keep warring with God's people. That's that's the, the gist of the chapter. Yes, we're in a wilderness period, in a desert where we're being Nurtured and nourished during this difficult time. But his doom is sure. In the meantime, how do we overcome? In the meantime, how do we battle the devil, this foe, in the interadvental period? Let me give you three points from verse 11. Number one, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That means if you were in Christ Jesus, his blood from his penal substitutionary atonement covers you, purchases your victory over Satan. Secondly, Verse 11, they've conquered by the blood of the lamb. They've conquered by the word of their testimony. That refers to our testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you confess Jesus Christ as your savior, when you confess Jesus Christ as the, the light that shines into the darkness, you're confessing a message that darkness cannot overcome. And you conquer Satan. By the word of your testimony, testifying to Christ's saving power. Third, they've conquered by the blood of the land. They've conquered by the word of their testimony. And I love this into verse 11. They conquered because they loved not their lives, even unto death. You know what? It's hard to stop the power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ when the followers of Christ are willing to even give their lives for that message. That's exactly what John is describing here. Think about it. There's nothing Satan can do to you worse than killing. That gives me peace, that gives me a sense of security. I don't have to go around worrying about when I might meet my end. I love the psalm we sang today. God numbered my days before there was yet one. He's written my days in the book of life. I am more than happy to relinquish and let go and just say, hey, my life is here for God to use as he sees fit. I do not count my life as something worth hanging on to, to the point of death, if it is at the expense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take my life, use it as you will, Lord. I'm prepared to lay it down and spend it in service in the gospel, knowing that if it's taken this afternoon, it will be for the best cause you can possibly imagine. I don't hang on to it. I don't cling to it unnaturally. It is his to do as he will. And Because of the overcoming blood of Christ, because of the word of our testimony to the gospel, and because of our willingness to give our lives to him, Satan is a conquered foe. And if anyone in Christ dies this afternoon, it is to go immediately into his presence. What a wonderful testimony of victory. What a wonderful testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. That's the message of Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to ask the men to come forward and begin to prepare the table.